Now, everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Listen to that applause for everything old is new again, huh? Isn't that nice? <laughs> this is Douglas Viviani with the ever-encouraging David Cohen. You can do it, Doug. <laughs> and the reason it's why good I that you're that. telling me that w- what I am in advance so I can, I can have a comeback to it. I'm so. setting the, well, Was that good? It's in the outline there, You can if you ever took a time. Yeah, but I just I look down and I see it for the first time, and it, 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 I can't react right away. But Let me ask you a question. Yes. That scene was from It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. The book that opens up has an in-subscription there, an inscription there from the angel uh what uh what does clarence say oh i don't know no man is a failure who has friends ah. and a friend of mine and a friend of the show and a friend of yours is uh, mr chris galvin we're here today uh to talk about the power of positive thinking and uh, overcoming uh substantial uh obstacles which i think all of us will have to go through i think we all know we're all going to go through obstacles difficulties in our lives and uh chris to me i think you'll find is uh somewhat of an inspiration we might be able to learn a bit about when when the hurdle that is thrown in front of us happens, how do we deal with that in right. a positive way and, 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 and overcome Chris, And Chris, so everyone knows, we, we've known since high school. So it's been, what, six years or something? Yeah. <laughs> I know Chris since fifth grade when I moved into the neighborhood in oh, 1973. Wow. wow. The year the Mets went to the World Series and lost. But uh, I do remember all of that. And, That's crazy. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know that. I didn't know you guys knew, knew each other longer than yes. high school. Wow. San Juan Elementary School. There you go. Wow. It still exists, believe it or not. Does it? Yes, they redid the whole place. It looks beautiful now. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, welcome to the uh, to the program. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Uh, I, I invited you along to tell us uh, a bit of your story, and then to get into how pop culture may ha- aid all of us in some way in developing our personality, developing a way to overcome problems, how to become positive. But uh, tell us a little bit about your story, where you came from, what's it all about? Why? Right. Well, yeah. I, I think the primary thing is you know you hear a lot about stem cells and stem cell research and both bone marrow transplants and the two different things so stem cell transplant is a is another word for a bone marrow transplant and after um, being diagnosed with cancer eight and a half years ago um, they uh, told me in the beginning with the type that I had that that was a potentiality so they had luckily for me I have uh, eight siblings um, you know all of whom are alive and well thank God and uh, they had all of them tested and two were actually a match so um, when it came down to it, uh, they had recurring cancer, so I would go for chemo. Uh, I probably at this point have a world record for the amount of chemo in my body, you know, but uh, uh, I would go for chemo. It looked like it would be in remission, and then it would come, you know, back and sometimes larger and greater and stronger than it was before. So eventually it came down to, you know, that the stem cell transplant was going to be the last resort. And the reason they consider it a last resort is because you could, you know, essentially die on the table. Your body could reject the uh, mm. the stem cells of the, in my case, sometimes you can use your own, but my stem cells were cancerous, so I had to have a donor. And like I said, come from a large family, so my brother James was, uh, 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 you know, uh, kind enough to be the donor and uh, did the procedure five and a half, almost six years ago at New York Presbyterian. And uh, by and large, obviously, it was a success. I, you know, I'm here 
today. But, uh, you know, after the transplant, I probably had eight hospitalizations related to, you know, different types of pneumonia because you basically go from, uh, you know, a 49-year-old guy or a 48-year-old guy, whatever at the time, 47, uh, to having the immune system of a, you know, a one- or two-year-old baby because you're wow. starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, and partly, you know, part of what, works for me maybe wouldn't work for somebody else but is that you know i go right back into life i remember coming out of the hospital and i went from you know uh weighing what i weigh around today like 211 to down to 171 and you know and i went back to work you know and so i exposed myself maybe to more germs than other people would but if i had to sit around the house and just you know watch tv and uh all that, I think I would, you know, it would drive me more crazy. How'd so. you put the, the weight back on? What, you I, go to the regular routine? You well, watch your diet or what? No, I, yeah, I never really, you know, luckily the doctors never, you know, when, they, when, you, when you lose all that weight from the, from the procedure, they want you to eat anything and everything except for, you know, a couple of things that might be uh, prone to bacteria. So, but the, the, the worst part, and, you know, I didn't, I, like I said, I, I remember being in the hospital and just thinking to myself, you're in the hospital for like six or eight weeks for the stem cell transplant when it's a donor transplant. And I remember thinking, you know, all right, this is, you know, this is bad, I guess, but it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not Auschwitz. It's not the Bataan Death March. It's, you know, and, you know, I remember like even the nurses would say, you know, you're the nicest patient. I remember thinking, you're saving my life. What am I supposed to do? Tell you that I don't like the Jello? Well, I mean, but a lot you know. of people, right. <laughs> but a lot of people could have a different attitude. Well, they evidently they do, but it was news to me because right. I was thinking, you know, like, you know, I was very grateful for the I, fact that. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's. My my mom was in the hospital recently, and and I, you know, I, I see other people and the things that they complain about. You know, to them, what they're going through seem monumental. Whether it's Jello or, or little things, obviously, it, it represents something a lot larger. Right. So I think it takes a lot of gumption to to be a good patient like you. And were. let me interrupt and just say because yeah. I know you, and I know one of your inspirations uh, in some way would be Gandhi. And I'm just going to play a smidge of a clip from uh, the Gandhi movie to get us there. I am asking you to fight, to fight against the anger. Not to provoke it. We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice. And it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. But we cannot lose. We cannot. They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. Uh, I just does that speak to you? It sounds like it might yeah, uh, speak no, to absolutely. you. So tell me gives, a gives me chills. I mean, so I, you know, as a kid, I remember reading Siddhartha. I remember you know watching when Gandhi came out, and and really just I consider myself a student of history. Um, and I and I think you know uh, like this the the, the very uh, cliche you know those who uh, don't you know learn from history repeat the mistakes. So I mean, I think that the point is that this is you know. We don't have to think in terms of that most people think of how much money I have in the bank or, you know, that I think as a person you're always trying to evolve. And so you, I think the difference is that when I was uh, sort of a great admirer of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and all of that, I thought I had to, you know, solve the puzzle of the world. And I thought I had to uh, fix the world to feel good about myself. And then in time I learned that really... I had to evolve as a person myself. I could only, I only really had power over 
myself as an individual. So I could just grow that way. And, and uh, we'll play this clip of Napoleon Hill, just think and grow rich. As I shall give you the first cue as to the nature of the great master key, which has been responsible for all the great successes in every calling, in every part of the world. The natural law, which is the very foundation of all personal successes. Whatever the mind can conceive and believe, the mind can achieve. I mean, is that, and I've got, just so you understand that that's Napoleon Hill from the 1940s and 50s, Think and Grow Rich, and he wrote a, uh, a treatise, a, a book that uh, I think is must-reading for most everybody. But did, did that touch to you at all? Well, not not in the same sense. I mean, because what I, you know, I think in the sense that it speaks to me is that I never invi- envision myself dying. You know what I mean? Like I never get the news of a, a relapse or a remission, you know, remission ending or, uh, you know, in all the times of the different diagnoses diagnosis, I never think, oh, you know, I never worry. So I, you know, I never, like I said, I'm not really so much a money-focused guy. Uh, as long as I have m- enough money for a bologna sandwich and, you know, and a, and a soda, I'm okay. Um, but in terms of visualizing the more positive aspect that, hey, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to get through this hospital stint and I'm going to go home and then we and the kids and my wife are going to go to Montauk and have a good weekend and, and all those things happen. And that's know? it. What the, what the mind can think of, it can achieve and we'll be back right after this and everything old new to get to continue to talk to uh, Mr. Christopher Galvin. There we go. Sound like golf We'll be right back. Come on back. Now we uh, play that uh, music. I mean, music certainly has a a place for all of us as well. I don't know. Does Does Simon and Garfunkel have some kind of? They speak to you uh, a little bit. It sounds I, that way. Absolutely, love Simon and Garfunkel. And and, uh, and when you are going through chemo, um, what you get to basically sit uh, in a room for a while. Well, you know, I the mean, funny thing is, like you, I have young children. I got married late, and, um, you know, my brother said, you waited so long. Why did you, you know, why did you give up at the end? You know, but uh, <laughs> thank God I had these two uh, beautiful kids like you. And, uh, and you know, so for a long time, I was reading Dr. Seuss, which I really love. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't doing any recreational reading of adult, you know, material. And so, chemo in a sense got me back in touch with reading great literature you know and uh and so uh, listening to music although again i'm not like a technical gadget guy so i've never owned an ipod or anything like that but uh i probably have eight tracks of uh you know <laughs> bridge over troubled water and sound but as you're sitting there you're listening to music for a smidge of inspiration yeah. you're reading uh because sure. how many hours are you sitting there through this well sometimes you know the last chemo that i did was uh in the hospital it was actually 96 hours continuous for four different you know it was supposed to be six cycles but like i said i think they think i li- reached my quota on how much chemo I can ingest. Um, so I had uh, four cycles of 96 hours. So you hooked up to the to the uh, IV, you know, the whole time. But, you know, I would walk the hallways. I, I, they actually had a weed there, and I was the only patient that actually took uh, <laughs> advantage of it, you know, like boxing or tennis or different things on Wii. Uh, but I'm lucky, you know, it's a little bit like the old joke about uh, – other than uh, the assassination, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? So <laughs> I've always, other than the fact that I have cancer, I'm in relatively good shape, you know. So, right. <laughs> so that's, wow. So it's four consecutive days. Four of consecutive chemo. days of yeah, continuous wow. ninety-six hours. Wow. Uh, we'll be back uh, for you, podcasters, and everybody else on everything old again. Right after this, continue talk about Hollywood movies and how it helps you deal with some adversity in life.
You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Bill related very heavily to the spiritual side of the movie, and that's why he wanted to make it. This was something that Bill was very passionate about. He viewed it as a great film, and it's a statement what we should be aspiring to, looking into our... Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. I don't know what happened to that clip, but okay. What's that from? <laughs> That's from the Bill Murray version of Razor's Edge, which I believe was in the 90s. Uh, great movie back in the day, Razor's Edge, from the 1940s. And I think... Um, and the book by Somerset Maugham. Exactly. It comes from, from that, and that's the chiming in another uh, rogues gallery uh, mm-hmm. star of Everything Old is New Again, uh, Christopher Galvin, who's going to take us through a smidge of how uh, possibly uh, movies can provide to us some inspiration, some armchair philosophy as to how to deal with significant adversity in our lives. Uh, and that certainly was something that... Bill Murray uh, took. In fact, Bill Murray said he would do Ghostbusters for the studio only under the proviso that he would be able to do Razor's Edge. That's the only way that movie got made. So let's just take a little uh, peek into the Razor's Edge and their road to salvation, so to speak. Uh, the road to salvation is difficult to pass through. As difficult as the sharp edge of a razor. There's much we know. And all religions teach it. There is in every one of us a spark of the infinite goodness which created us. And when we leave this earth, we are reunited with it. As a raindrop falling from heaven is at last reunited with the sea which gave it birth. All right, that's a little piece of the original Razor's Didn't Edge. sound like Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Tyrone Power, or I think I, I forget who the lead actor was. Yes, been Tyrone Power. Yeah, so uh, does that speak to you in any way? What that? That's really the sage. He yeah. climbs this mountain in India to get the answer to what life is all about right well that's the thing you know we all in our own way i guess embark on you know in our journey to find out what the meaning of life is and you know and uh so for bill murray and for tyrone power and you know the character as sarah somerset morn wrote about was that this was this long protracted journey you know uh to different lands and different cultures and you know and we're lucky in this country to you can experience all these different cultures right up you know close and personal especially in new york and the surrounding area so uh yeah i I think it's you know i think it it comes down to uh wanting to sort of like the hindu concept wanting to you know get to the the next level you know what i mean i'm catholic uh uh by birth and i and i practice catholicism but i also you know admire and respect and borrow uh liberally from all different religions and the concept of evolving as a person and trying to be the the best person you can be you know right um, and you you are where you are now um for a reason till the journey's end but you're right. in the middle of chapter 22 of 33 or something you know right. you're you're on the way to realize that you're going somewhere not you're not it didn't life didn't end or your journey didn't end the moment you got married or had kids or right. achieved some objective let's say right. that you wanted to there's still other objectives i think is what you're trying to present no yes absolutely well yeah because you can always be better and that's my morning prayer I, you know i i have a weird uh, thing I actually pray in the shower. I shower every morning, and I, 
I pray in the in the shower because when I first met my wife, I wasn't where where I wasn't aware of where she was spiritually or religion or anything. So I just started praying, you know, in the shower because I didn't, you know, it wasn't something we even talked about. And uh, you know, 15 years later, I'm still there every morning. And and of late, that's been my prayer has been let me be a better person today than I was yesterday. And you know, when sometimes I fall down on that, but at least it's an objective. You know, I'm not going in right. saying, you know, let me. Uh, let me uh, worry about, you know, uh, what I can take out of the world. Let me think more about what I can contribute. Great. Um, let's just take a look a little bit on the waterfront, if you remember this movie. My favorite. Here you go. This ain't your night. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. Now, basically, Marlon Brando, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm you know, not telling any secrets out of school here. It's an older movie. You should see it. It, it, it. This boxer was thrown under the bus, so to speak, by his brother for a short-term gain, lost his career, felt his life was miserable from that point on. He, he missed his opportunity. He threw a fight, right? He, he threw a fight, right. and that was it. He, he never had the opportunity to achieve his goal, which as a young person was to be uh, you know, champion of the world, boxing. And as it turns out, he was able to use the those skills which he was presented and developed as a young man later later on in, in life to benefit the entire labor community of the waterfront to battle against the forces of evil of, of the of the mob at the time right and so I mean to me that that means that listen it's it's never too late to to sort of achieve goals and achieve things as you go on and so if you're hit with adversity right in front of you and you have still goals ahead of you that you haven't achieved yet it does, does 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 that jive? Does that have a struggle? Well, Where does it speak to you in that? Well, well I, I, to me, really, the movie always, even you know, I was a fan of the movie and the play long before you know I ever knew I had cancer or anything else. And it was you know more was the the, the concept of that um, having the strength of character because you know the the the, the tenor of the movie is that really I, I think his name was Johnny uh, you know has to come to grips to do the right thing he doesn't his instincts are not to do the right thing his instincts are to dummy up and really for me you know as great as uh, uh, as Brando was and he was phenomenal Carl Malden you know as the priest really steals the show and there's a scene you know where um, uh, uh, Dugan, I believe is his name, you know, is, is killed by the mob, you know, while they're hoisting stuff up from the ship. And he cites different examples and he says, you know, it didn't just happen in Calgary, but that when Dugan is killed unnecessarily, when the guy is thrown off the roof, that's a, that's a crucifixion. And, you know, so that's what we, that's what speaks to me. And, and really about the Brando, the part is that at the end, you know, where he refuses to lay down and they, they beat the hell out of him. And he refuses help, you know, and he gets up on his own. And so the, basically the union bosses say if he can make it on his own, uh, then everybody, you know, gets in. And that's what he does. So I think it's really just showing up, standing up, and, and using whatever power you have, physical, mental, to uh, face whatever challenges you have. And never, never give up. Never give up. Never surrender. Right. Where would that come from? Galaxy Quest. Uh, odd reference. Okay. <laughs> we'll try a little something from Henry Fonda. Fonda We're like Casey says, fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then, 
Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. Now, does that give you any kind of uh, punch in the arm? Did it ever, in terms of uh, your struggle uh, as you went through 10 years of, of fighting health issues? Um, well, again, you know, I loved that movie long and the book before, long before, um, you know, a big fan of Steinbeck's. And, I, and you know, he has an, an incredible ability to write poetry and prose, which is, I think, the ultimate goal of every, um, you know, every uh, novelist. And, and really, you know, what I, I grew up, uh, reading a lot and writing, but uh, you know, but I, I just thought I would write the great American novel, but instead I found out that I lived it, you know, right. and which is uh, to me much more meaningful and significant, you know, because I could have written that novel, you know, a great novel at 24 and uh, and burnt out and you know, and whatever, but living it and li living the virtue is more meaningful. There you go. Uh, and it's something to to hear that uh, when you went through uh, chemo and going through the difficulties, you actually uh, read a lot of the classics, and and uh, and that was able to provide you with, I, I would presume some some sort form of inspiration. Each of the different uh, works, right? Absolutely. All right. So uh, uh, besides that, what do you feel uh, that this show gives to you in terms of inspiration? I'm kidding. Uh, no, but is, is, <laughs> I'm it, just glad we're not talking Star Trek. You know? I'll talk Big Bang and Seinfeld, but I won't do Star I, Trek. I tried to get the Star Trek <laughs> reference. I actually got Galaxy Quest, which is in the, uh, what would you say, a, a distant cousin. So uh, we're there. We'll be back after the uh, commercial break and continue with, uh, with Christopher Galvin on Everything Old is New Again. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. This is Douglas Viviani, and I am here with uh, uh, David Cohen, of course. Of course. There you are. <laughs> and with uh, a friend of ours, a friend of mine, and uh, and David from high school, but I go back to uh, fifth, grade. fifth grade with Chris Galvin, and we've gone through a lot of card games. Yes. Which I've lost a lot of money to him, and uh, I don't know. I can't I remember the tally. But we used to play, actually, in my basement in the bumper house. Bumper pool. We would play bumper pool. Uh, that I would beat you out once yes, in a while. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I remember running up to my dad's little, he had a dish of quarters and things back in the day. And we would be playing for nickels and dimes and quarters. And during the, the, the card games, I'd run upstairs in the middle of the night, grab a couple of quarters, and bring, bring them back down. And Chris eventually got all of those. Anyway, we're <laughs> back here with Christopher Galvin talking about uh, pop culture and difficult times in lives and, and is there any inspiration we can gather from pop culture and uh, along those lines we, we've got music and literature we're going to focus on a little bit here that's a little bit from Simon and Garfunkel now that to me says might to me say the opposite of what you've been saying or feel uh, or not you tell me uh, that's that's a situation where uh, a person is isolating themselves and they've got their poetry and they're an, uh, an island basically unto themselves you tell me right well I you know I identified I 
I still think it's great, but I, I identified more with it when you know in my t- late teens and early twenties uh, when I did feel like that. When I was, I'd been writing since really elementary school, and I did eventually, uh, you know, after I got sober, managed to get published in a few uh, uh, journals. The first place I got published was actually uh, the Long Islander, which uh, Walt Whitman had been, you know, had founded and, and obviously written for. So that was a great little feather in my cap. You know, uh, didn't pay the bills, but it was something. And um, you know, so I did feel isolated. Like I said, when in my twenties, while I was still actively drinking and and all the, uh, you know, I did feel it was me against the world. And I did feel like, you know, that in in sometimes when you you know, reading great literature or poets, I was you know a big fan of T. S. Eliot and you know and Simon and Garfunkel and on and on down the line and Steinbeck. And you feel you see somebody reading a People magazine, you feel oh well, <laughs> I'm so much better than them, you know. So, but then you know somebody once told me that you spend your first thirty six thirty six years of your life building up your ego, and then you spend the next thirty six tearing it down. And and so I'm in the tearing down part, and uh, no longer feel like what a person reads or what they think, you know, really uh, describes you know who they are. So you since, subscribe to People now? Is that what I don't subscribe to People okay. now, but I you know <laughs> once in a while I do watch my wife watching The Insider, and you know. Uh, or something like that. But he does shy away from Star Trek, so there's got to yeah. be something on some <laughs> level you've gone askew there somewhere. But And it may have been Tom McLean. Let's just... <laughs> a little piece of Tom McLean crossroads. They walk one road to set them free And find they've gone the wrong direction But there's no need for turning back Because all roads lead to where I stand and I believe I walk them all, no matter what I may have planned. One of these guys that I think you somewhat overlook in our pop culture now that wrote very poetic music. Um, he's phenomenal. He's known and, for the, you say he's known for the one song, what? Uh, American the, the, Pie. American right. Pie, but that's you know, basically their cause... All roads lead to where I stand. Uh, right, and about. and like I said, so so as a little kid, you know, I wanted to either be the tight end for the New York Giants or heavyweight champion of the world or write the great American novel. And you know, I got to be a little bit of both uh, of all those things. I played semi-pro football after not being allowed to play in high school because I only tried out my senior year. They basically said we can't even let you try out because you take a spot from somebody else. I went up to Albany played flag football and uh somebody saw me playing and you know and recruited me to play semi-pro so you know and and there's a light years of distance to use a star trek term uh (laughs) uh between semi-pro and pro but still it's a level that uh that i was happy with and i you know i boxed in college and uh and then you know like i said i did get to uh uh, to do a little bit of writing uh, along the way and got a few things published. So it's not, you know, and and, and those things and, and, you know, like I'm also, I had, when you asked me some questions for like an outline, I'd said that I'm probably one of the few people that's worked at a homeless shelter and also, you know, worked for a Fortune 100 company. And I think all that you know, experience leads to the person that I am today. You know, it's a collective thing. And uh, I, I think... Uh, all that exposure, the more you're exposed to different elements of society, the more you can have a greater understanding. And then ultimately, you, you it still becomes down to how can you yourself uh, be better? Well, do you feel that the uh, the road that led you to cancer and the struggle that you've gone through with that is 
uh, a detour, or is that basically, you know, that's where you were meant to be? I believe it's where I was meant to be. And like I said, you know, I never think, why me? I think, why not me? You know, people have gone through, endured so much more. You know, I was a big fan of Eli Wiesel and, you know, and, and Schindler's List. Watching that, you know, just shook me to the core. I couldn't, I had like no emotion, like for days after watching it. So I think that, you know, I was mindful that uh, other people, you know, I think of it as the psychology of perspective. Other people have gone through much more difficult times. Like I said, I got to work at a homeless shelter with battered women and, you know, and I could put myself in their position or, you know, not that I can actually physically put myself in their position, but I could be mindful that people uh, suffer unbearably sometimes. So, and even there, you know, there was so much um, joy, you know, with the women and their children. And, you know, people talk about like areas like bed drive through bed like I did as a sales rep and see kids going to school and looking great and having fun and laughing. And so we project these images and they're not really real images. We project black and white and things are much more rainbow. Which I think also Kill a Mockingbird may show a little of respect. The world never well. seems as fresh and wonderful as comforting and terrifying, as good and evil, as it does when seen through the eyes of a child. For a writer to capture that feeling is remarkable. And perhaps that is why one book in the last few years has been so warmly embraced by tens of millions of people. To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, does that, I mean, it sort of steps on what you just basically said and it amplifies that a little bit, or why does that, uh, you know, add to your person persona if you will well because i i think in terms of like one of my favorite uh quotes is from lincoln you know when he said let's appeal to our to to our better natures and i think that's what atticus finch is trying to do as one man against the entire community that doesn't want to appeal to the better nature and i think that's you know i remember when eric garner uh you know was uh uh, died at the hands of, you know, what I conceive of police brutality, that, you know, that that was an opportunity for all of us to reflect and say, okay, let's look at it. Let's not look in terms of black or white, but let's look at each individual case and say, you know, this is this this is not acceptable in, in this case. And, and uh, going back to music a little bit, uh, I, I don't mean to overcome some of these things without response, but uh, we have a clock, so <laughs> right. I want to take a look at Sound of Science a little bit by uh, Disturbed's interpretation of that and see how that speaks. In some ways, that does dovetail off of what you had just said. This song and this the interpretation of speaking, singing, yelling, and having no one really hear you. And uh, and so uh, you, you uh, just mentioned that, but if you want to amplify that for a couple of seconds as to how that affects you and your, your struggle, how you went through things. And well, I, the biggest thing is I don't really see it as a struggle. You know what I mean? I, I see it as, I mean, I, I'm able, you know, I was able to, after that last 96-hour uh, stint getting chemotherapy, you know, I hailed a cab and took the subway home and, uh, you know, hailed a cab, got home and, you know, hung out with my family, went out to, uh, uh, I think, Red Lobster or something like that. And, you know, so for me, I don't allow it to seem like to be a struggle because I, I refuse to. Well, then to. what is it? It's it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge that, you know, you have to show up and do the best you can for what, for what the, the hand you're dealt, going back to the poker reference. Sounds great. We'll be right back with everything old is new again. Chris and Galvin. Wow, is that loud? Turn it up. <laughs> we'll be right back. 
Right. So for the next minute and a half. So just to just to kind of amplify that a little bit here, um, you're saying that that you know. If I'm diagnosed with an illness and there's a possible really bad result, uh, bad in, in our terms of you, know, you may not be on the planet anymore, and that's a whole different discussion of what happens after. But, um, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you sleep at night without concerning yourself with that 100% of the time? Well, one of the things that when I did work at the homeless shelter, I, I you know, was fortunate enough to be adopted by a little girl named Crystal who, you know, basically had a fever one night and it turned out that she was HIV positive. And for the next, you know, three years of her life, I was like a surrogate father. She was certainly like a daughter to me. And we went everywhere. We went to Easter Parade. We went to St. Patrick's Day Parade. We went to amusement parks. And we had a lot of fun. You know, I knew I'd lost my niece uh, a few years earlier um, and goddaughter. And, you know, so here was a chance to either I could play the safe route and not, you know, not take care of this girl, or I could choose to love and I could receive the benefits of what choosing to love do. And I couldn't go back in time and bring my niece back, but I could do all I could do for Crystal. Great stuff. We'll be back right after this. Everything Old is New Again. Check us out at everythingoldisnewagain.biz. This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Oh, Earth, you're too wonderful for anyone to realize you. Do any human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute? No. Saints, poets, maybe, they do something. That's a little bit from uh, everything uh, old is new again's uh, archives here, looking at our town, and that was uh, poignant scene with uh, Paul Newman's version, which is a rare version, but a great version to see of, of our town. I think the best version. We're here with uh, David Cohen and Christopher Galvin, um, continue our discussion of overcoming significant obstacles uh, in our way and in, in life. And I just want to get right down to it. Um, when you're diagnosed with cancer, and the doctors basically say there's a potential that you're not. Gonna to get through this we're all going at some point but your time to go might be sooner than others because of this um how do you sleep at night how do you deal with that how do you deal with everyday issues of making a sandwich for lunch without having all of this on your mind and bring you down to a place where you don't even want to get out of bed because i look at cancer like having green eyes or hazel eyes or whatever color i think my eyes change but i i don't look at it like it defines me at all you know I, i think it's just it's something i have it's something i deal with um but it's not you know it's not a defining thing and and to be honest in the nine years or nearly nine years of of dealing with it, I've shed like one tear, and that was, you know, I, I made, you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to pray for God's will or whatever, at least to the God of my understanding. But, you know, I allowed myself one in, one indulgence, you know, early on, I, after writing an email to my family, and, you know, I just said, God, get me to my kid's graduation, high school graduation. And, you know, and that shook me up a little bit. But other than that, um, it's been, you know, steady as you go and just go forward. And that's really... You know, I enjoy my whatever sandwich I make. I enjoy whatever I work I do. I'm I'm glad for the fact that I could walk out of the hospital and go to work. You know, some people can't do that. I I, I the chemo really, you know, for whatever reason didn't doesn't have the uh, the effect. I was used to joke that if it's not kryptonite, I'm okay. Um, you know, so I could function. 
So you, you, you more or less then live in the moment, and, and that's a right. saying and that just pie in the sky. But you're just saying uh, you're enjoying being on the radio, and that's what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about right. what's happening in your body or what's right. going to happen right. five years from now or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and again, sort of going back to the Don McLean song, all, all roads lead to where I stand. So when I was diagnosed, like I said, I, I, I guess I was uh, – 45 or whatever but i had already lived you know 45 years and you know on the planet and and everything that had happened before prepared me for that moment and one of the you know most meaningful parts of my life was uh you know my family suffered the tragedy uh back in 1986 we lost my goddaughter mary ellen uh to a to a car accident and you know the the pain and grief of that is you know is unimaginable but you know, you you still move forward, and to me, you know, I was I was drinking quite a bit back then, so I was mel- dulling the pain. But eventually, I got sober, and here I was in 1990. Uh, I had uh, left the business world to take like a sabbatical at a homeless shelter in Huntington, and I get a call that uh, some new residents who were in the uh, apartment part of the complex uh, needed uh, me to bring over Tylenol because the young daughter. Uh, had a high-grade fever and uh, brought her the Tylenol. She came right up to me, and I held her in my arms, and, you know, and I could feel, like, the heat coming off of her forehead. And she took the Tylenol, and she was better, and the next day she came to visit me. And, um, you know, for the next three years, we were a lot like uh, father and daughter. And, you know, within a week, I'd found out that she was HIV positive along with her mom, and her uh, five siblings were, were not. Were, they, were, uh, uh, they were not uh, affected by the virus. But so I knew at that point early on that, you know, if I choose to love her, that uh, it's going to be, a you know, a rocky road and then you're going to go through things. And uh, but I made the choice. I didn't I couldn't go back in time and uh, and be back with Mary Ellen, at least in this lifetime. Uh, but I could choose to love Crystal and I could choose to experience life. And we had, you know, played hide and seek like you couldn't believe. And uh, and we went to parades and we went to amusement parks and. You know, of those three years that we got to be together, uh, there was much more joy than there was uh, sorrow, you know. And and at the end, you know, I remember thinking I'd lifted weights all my life, been an athlete, and, you know, it didn't matter how strong I was. I couldn't stop, you know, uh, her eventual demise. But I, I did get to, you know, but I carry her with me every day, and I pray for her every day and, and her family. So, you know, that I think that makes me stronger. Most people don't get to have that experience like that. I feel blessed that I had that experience. And I do I do feel blessed overall, you know, that, that I've had the life that I've had. Uh, I have no regrets, you know. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I've, uh, I've made uh, uh, decisions that were bad, but, but each day gives an opportunity. You know, there's an expression, you can start your day over all over, you know, at any time. And I, I use that, and I do try to live in the moment. Because you can... Uh, uh Look at it this way too. There, I remember Jim Valvano and yeah. the speech that he gave. If you remember the SD right. Awards, if you right. could laugh every day, if you could cry every day, and if you could learn something every day, it was a successful day. And and piggybacking on what you just said, you you per- provided that young lady and in reverse her to you uh, a dimension of life that showed tremendous highs apparently, but also tremendous lows. But the, you lived life. That's right. what, to go through life numb and right. shy away from the pain, I guess, kind of is what you're saying. Right. Well, uh, you missed the point, I guess, right? Right. Well, you know, it was like Cahil Gibran, the, um, uh, I think it was um, a Persian poet, had said, you know, sorrow and joy are, joy are drawn from the same well. So the deeper the sorrow, the greater the joy. So I've experienced tremendous sorrow 
in my life and losing, you know, losing people I love. But at the same time, that you know, the joy has been magnified as a result. All right, let's just get to uh, a little clip here from movie St. Vincent. I want to point out a little He something taught me there. how to fight, how to stand my ground and be brave, how to speak up and be bold, because saints fight for themselves and others so that they might be heard. I learned how to take risks and go for broke, because in life, the odds can be stacked against you. Yes, Mr. Vincent McKenna is flawed, seriously flawed, but just like all the other saints we studied, because after all, saints are human beings. No, we're not saying that you're a saint. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I get the wrong message there because I don't have the power to do that. Right. But if I did, I, I would suggest that uh, that you have significant lessons for people to learn. And along those lines of that movie, if you watch that movie, it's, uh, again, uh, Bill Murray. Right. He chooses some interesting roles, and, and it was presented uh, in, in, in a different way when if you didn't see the movie just the trailer but that basically was a gentleman that was going through difficult times and how he dealt with them and how he affected as you just talked about with this young girl how he affected this young boy and how significant that was uh, to him I want to just piggyback that on uh, the ending of uh, of our town and finish up with Christopher Galvin just discussing Here that. Are the stars doing their old crisscross in the sky no living beings up there only this one is straining away, trying to make something of itself. In fact, every 16 hours, the strain gets to be so great that everyone just lies down and takes a rest. Everyone's resting in Grover's Corners. Tomorrow's going to be another day. You get a good night's rest, too. Now, have you, uh, I spoke to you about that a little bit, or this play, in the past. Right. Uh, and you referred me to another uh, Thornton Wilder work. And I'm wondering, uh, does, does this play also, you know, it seems to surprise you, the third act of this play, where all of a sudden there's, uh, there's this turnaround, there's this death, and, and having to deal with that. Um, how does that uh, speak to you at all? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I think that in terms of just really... I believe in being unprepared. You know, I you know, I I have no retirement account. I don't worry about things like that. I'm just living day to day, you know. Um I'm fortunate enough that uh my wife is the opposite, so we have a beautiful house and all that, but uh you know, I'm like I said, I'm I'm happy with lunch money. Uh so, you know, I live a day at a time and I and I and I don't necessarily worry about what the next thing is, but when you know but the thing is to be in touch enough with your emotions that when a serious matter comes up, you can feel it. Sounds great. Thank you for spending time with us. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, no man is a failure who has friends, and I'm, I'm happy to call David and yourself uh, friends of mine, and now friends of everything old is new again. We'll be back next week. Examine some more pop culture. And I'll see you next time on Everything Old is New Again. There you go. Had to throw it in there for your favorite <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thanks for the time. we got a minute and a half here to spend. Uh, anything that, that you haven't had an opportunity to present to us at this point or throw something out at you, what do you think? Well, just, uh, um, oh, are we on or not? Yeah, we're on. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is for the podcasters, a little like something extra. Well, uh, yeah, so this is, you know, I mean, first of all, it's a lot of fun just to be, you know, to see David again after 36 years. Uh, you know, I've seen you over the years, obviously. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, this is this is how circuitous life is, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, a guy that you met in fifth grade and I go back, you know, I'm still uh, friends with Brian and John and Ron and, you know, people from third grade. So it's, 
it's a phenomenal uh, life when you think about it. Not too many people get to the 50s and have friends from still from elementary school. Right. So, you know, it's about somebody once said, you know, you can't you can't worry and be grateful at the same time. So I try to be grateful. And they say you can't uh, uh, have fear and love at the same time. So, you know, try to love instead of be fearful, frightful. Words to live by, young David Cohen. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate your time, Chris, and uh, we'll definitely have you back for uh, an examination of pop culture. We'll talk about uh, Twilight Zone or something that's right up your alley. All right, sounds good. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Thanks again for coming. Thank you, guys. Great seeing you. And I'll see you next time on Everything Gold is Nude Again. (laughs) 